People, welcome back to the Garden of Amuna class. And uh, two things. Number one, I'd just like to thank uh, Jason, who sponsored uh, the refreshments today in honor of his sister's engagement. Uh, also, I'd like to dedicate the class um, tonight. Uh, someone in the shul, her mother, her father just passed away, Marsha Wolin. Today was a funeral, and uh, his name is Hirsch Bear Ben Yaakov Moshe. And they're sitting Shiva right now. I'd just like to dedicate tonight's class for. Uh, his neshama. So, as you saw in the invite, the question that went out, the topic for tonight is, what do we do when we cannot get in touch with our amuna? Sometimes we just can't connect with our amuna. In uh, difficult times, we wish we can connect with our amuna at that point, and yet for some reason, we just can't. Why am I talking about that tonight? So I want to just introduce to you a teaching of our sages on this week's Torah portion. And then we're going to talk about exile. We're going to talk about how to deal with emunah in these difficult times where we just seem to be dry. Our sages tell us that the Jewish people in Egypt fell into 49 levels of impurity. Were they not to have been taken out at the moment that they were taken out, we would have never been redeemed from exile because once we, we fall into the 50th gateway of, of impurity, there is, that's the point of no return. And then our sages tell us they were such a low state in what schut, in what merit did they get out of Egypt? And it tells us something surprisingly. They held on to their identity. And how did they hold on to their identity? Very simple thing. Number one, they didn't change their way of dress, their dress code, the Jewish dress code that they had way back from when uh, Papa Jacob and the 12 sons came. Number two, they didn't change their names. They knew their Jewish names. And number three, they didn't change their language. They still held on to the Jewish language. That's what really took me to this topic today. You know, you think about they had 49 levels of impurity and yet they held on to the Jewish name. What exactly does it mean? What does it mean they held on to the language? They didn't speak Egyptian. Moshe Rabbeinu's name, believe it or not, was not the name he got, the Jewish name. The Talmud talks about what was his Jewish name. Remember, he was returned to his, he was kept by his mother for three months, his mother and father. And then they gave him a name then. Then he grew up for three years, he grew up there. And uh, the Gemara talks about what his name was. And interesting enough, he's one of the two famous people, two famous people amongst the Jewish history that's actually not known for their Jewish name. Moshe Rabbeinu's Jewish name, according to some opinions, was Yikutiel. Well, who named him Moshe? We learned in this week's Torah portion. That was his Egyptian name given by the daughter of Pharaoh. Who else, if you remember, who else is known for their, not their Jewish name, but their not Jewish name, their secular name? Is Esther. Esther's Hebrew name was Hadassah. Esther was her Persian name. But either way, going back to our discussion, I saw, I actually, I shouldn't say I saw, I believe I heard, I don't think I actually saw this. I heard from someone that the Rebbe referred in the 60s to that whole group, the Bob Dylan, that whole, that whole group of Yiddish Kindalach, as this statement. They did not forget their name, they did not forget their language, and they did not forget their dress code. And uh, 
And interesting enough, what I understood from that was that it's not what we think it was. If the Talmud tells us that they fell into 49 levels of impurity, it meant that they fell in 49 levels of impurity. I envision that what it means they didn't change their Hebrew name is like what goes on here in the shul. Someone who doesn't use his Hebrew name, but when he comes here to shul and asks him, what's your Hebrew name for being called up to the Torah? Most often they know. They don't use it daily, but they use it when they need to. They know their name. They, they knew it by their bar mitzvah. Many times people don't remember the name, and I'll give them a homework, guys, for the next time you get called up to the Torah, please know your Hebrew name. I don't think that they, they necessarily use their Hebrew name day to day. The same thing with Lashon Kodesh. So with that, let's talk about when you're in the 49 levels of impurity, there's deep suffering. One would assume that their emunah isn't in the highest level. On the 49th level of impurity, we're not exactly basking in emunah. So what is going on here? Which made me think, which led me up to what I'm going to share with you today. The definition of galut, by definition, it means that the light of divinity is not shining in a revealed fashion. We know the famous Mishnah Pirkei Avot, that in the temple there was 10 miracles that happened every single day. Well, I shouldn't say actually every single day, because one of the 10 was concerning the high priest uh, on Yom Kippur. But generally speaking, they happened, most of them happened every day. The pillar of smoke, even though Yerushalayim is quite windy, the pillar of smoke that went up from the altar did not move. Now that's a miracle that not only Jewish scholars saw, every person, every human being saw there's something funny going on here. We're holding on to our keepers because the wind is blowing and that smoke is just going straight up. So the miracles that took place on a physical level that our eyes saw just strengthened our faith. We knew that this is the house of God. So you came three times a year and you just, or whenever you came, maybe you went up for your birthday to bring a carbon, and you just saw, you saw that God exists. And that strengthened your emunah. So to on a spiritual level, the impact of the holy temple with the holy ark and all that took place there on a spiritual level, not just physically, on a spiritual level, it imbued us with a certain level of revelation which brought out our emunah in a very practical level. The definition of galut is that we don't have the amunah. There's a special verse that we say about, about the galut. The signs, the wonders our eyes don't see. We don't know where our salvation comes from. So the definition of galut is that I struggle with emunah. So tonight's topic is to understand what does it mean that in the 49 levels of impurity, what kept them going was these external things? 49 levels of impurity was internal. But the Jewish name, the Jewish language, the Jewish clothing, which is all external, it's not deep emotional things. It's not deep intellectual things. The fact that they knew what their Hebrew name is because they used it by their bar mitzvah and every time they get called up to the Torah isn't something very deep. And yet over here it's so deep that it's what saved us. What I'm going to suggest today and what I'm going to present to you today is that these three things is what kept them in touch with their deepest level of emunah. So let's begin. In Kabbalah, 
And in Hasidus, we talk about how every single level, every level of the Svirot, every world, every single level of spirituality is made up of three parts. Roish, Toich, and Soif. Head, middle, and end. Normally, when we talk about that, we talk about that the ten emanations breaks into these three levels. Chabad, Chachma, Bina, Dat, your three lobes of your brain, the two lobes in the stem. That is the Rosh, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. The Toch is Chagas, Chesed, Gvura, Tveret. And then the Sof is from the waist down, which is Netzach, Hod, Yisod, and Malchut. What does this mean to us that is Rosh, Toch, and Sof? So it explains it. It explains that everything has three levels. It's interesting because in psychology, they talk about that too, that within every single person, there's the parent, there's the child. What happens is that on one level, there's the Rosh. The Rosh is the, not you. The Rosh is the part of you that connects with that which is higher than you. The gift of the mind, the difference between the human and the animal is, that the animal, the, re the head, the heart, and the derriere is all on the same level. While the human being stands tall. The head's on top of the heart, the heart's on top of the rest of your body. And the power of being like that is, our sages say the gift that a human is, that they can actually look up. Look up physically and look up also intellectually and metaphysically. So that power of being able to look up and ask questions that the animal kingdom can't ask. Questions, where do we come from? Questions, what's our purpose in life? Questions of what's our afterlife? An animal cannot contemplate the afterlife. So that gift of Rosh is connecting us to that which is beyond us. The finite human being can use his Rosh to nurture from that which is above and beyond our own existence. The Toch is you. Not that your intellect is not you, but as we know, as you'll take in every salesman class, emotions is the most powerful human experience. A salesman can explain to you from today to tomorrow how important it is for you to buy this. If he doesn't add on that nasty little emotional twitch of, but I don't know if it'll be available tomorrow. We already have four offers on this. If he doesn't add that twist, that last, the F that stands for fear. I heard an acronym from a salesperson. But either way, the, the last letter of that acronym, there's four letters, the last letter is F, which stands for fear. Because if we don't engage emotionally, emotionally, you will not budge. You're not going to leave your comfort zone. You're not going to do anything. And that's why you always have the same shtick, the real estate agent, was going to ask you, and if you did take this house, what would you do in this room? What are they doing with that? Why would they ask you, what color would you paint this? Because they want you to start having an emotional association to this house. The biggest nightmare for a real estate agent is when someone is now in retirement age, brought up all their kids in this house, and the seller has no, no sense of actual value. He's only dealing with emotional value. That's a very hard person to sell. That person wants money for that which to you means nothing. 
the fact that every corner that he looks in the house and he sees one kid jumping off a fridge and another kid 20 years ago was hanging from the tree and this was his tree house and this is where he used to hang out, to you means nothing. But to him, he wants to be, he wants to be reimbursed for selling that. Because emotions, emotions is the strongest human drive. It's what makes us move anything. Chapter 4 in Tanya explains it, that in our relationship of the two categories of mitzvot, the positive and the negative, the prohibitions, he says clearly that love, ahavat Hashem, is the driving life force of all the 248 positive commandments. Without that, the word he uses is, what you do for someone is driven by the emotion of love. The emotion of fear is the driving life force of the 365 prohibitions. It's what stops us from doing what we shouldn't do. Love, we're taught, many people, when they only deal with love and not with fear, they take the liberty of, don't worry, God loves me, he'll look away. Fear doesn't allow for that. So when we talk about toch, it's your real experience. And then there's sof. Sof is already in the ten faculties, the netzachod yisod and malchut. Here we're already talking about what would be reproductive. Reproductive not just in the biological sense, but reproductive in the sense of I feel, so therefore I'm going to do something about it. Once you're leaving thyself, and either you're sharing it with someone else, or you're taking your love for Hashem and you're translating it into a resolution, which means to overcome all the obstacles, Netzach and Hod play a role there, so that's called Sof. So Rosh is not you because it's the way you relate to that which is above and beyond you. Sof is not you because it's the way you're moving out of self. Toch is self. Toch is you. Now that we put this on the table, let's go back to our topic. When we talk about faith, when anyone talks about, oh, that holiday was a great holiday, or those services were great services, what do they usually mean? What they usually mean is, I emotionally connected with it. Most people, when they talk about, oh, we had such a beautiful Passover Seder, most people do not mean, I had such a beautiful Passover Seder, I ate the right size of matzah, the five kazayasim, I ate the right size of mora, the two kazayasim, I had the four cups of wine, and I, because I was able to, I used the real wine, not mavosha wine, which you're supposed to use on Pesach. No one thinks that way. No one thinks that way. Most people are thinking it was a beautiful Seder, we sang, I was emotional, I felt it, I haven't felt so Jewish in years. That's how we connect to things. When we talk about a davening, oh, that was a geshmaka davening. Or that was a beautiful shiur. Even when we talk about a beautiful shiur, which is intellectual, most of us will not refer to a beautiful shiur just because it was intellectual, br intellectually brilliant. We refer to the shiur because the fact that I understood it and enjoyed the topic, again, emotional. Why to give you now a lecture on something which means nothing to you? A brilliant lecture about the orbits of the stars, which you happen to not have zero interest in it. You won't walk out saying, wow, that was fascinating, that was beautiful. 
However, even if you did not deal with astronomy and the setup of the Jewish calendar, but I gave a passionate shiur. So not only did you feel the intellectual side, but you felt motivated, interested, emotionally touched at some level. Even in emotions, we talk about the emotions of the emotions, and we talk about the emotions of the intellect. The one that puts a little smile and a twinkle on your face. I got it. That's what we call, oh, that was an amazing experience. Because we associate ourselves and anything with emotions. So now let's go back to the title of the class. When I'm talking about not being able to connect with your emunah, what level of emunah am I talking about? I'm going to present here tonight that there is three levels of emunah, the rosh, the toch, and the sof. So when we talk about, I just don't feel my emunah, I just don't feel it. I'm walking around spiritually empty. I'm going with such troubles, and, and yeah, I know that everything God's in control, but I'm just lacking the emunah. The bumps in the roads, they're just shaking me up, I just feel dry, I just feel empty, I, I just don't feel my emunah. What am I talking about? Which level of emunah would you call me up and fetch to me, Rabbi, I gotta sit and talk with you. I, I don't know, I'm just, I, I just don't feel my emunah. It's exactly what I just said. I don't feel my emunah. Were I to sit down and talk to you about your emunah, it would take four seconds. Yeah, I, I know, Rabbi, of course I have emunah. I don't worry, I didn't walk out on God. And, and even if I did walk out on God, it doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. It just means I'm walking out for a little break. So my emunah is intact. So why would you ever call me and tell me, I, I don't know, I'm just, I, I, I'm having problems with emunah. When it doesn't take long for me, if I was to play with you and start talking the way you're talking about not having emunah, you would start contradicting me. Because you know you have emunah. So when we talk about I cannot connect with my emunah, we're talking about the toch of emunah. We're talking about I don't feel my emunah. I don't feel at ease. I don't feel basking in God's embrace. I don't feel that poem of footsteps. So when we talk about not being able to connect to emunah, once again we're talking about the strongest human experience of anything, which is the emotional experience. So I am lacking in my emotional experience of emunah. Let's talk about Rosh and Sof. What is the Rosh of emunah? For tonight, I'm going to suggest, I, I need to be clear, I did not learn anywhere in a mimer specifically these three stages in Emunah of Rosh, Toch, and Sof. I'm just borrowing what I learned in other mimorim and applying it to Emunah for here tonight. What would be the Rosh of Emunah? Once again, it's connecting to that which is beyond you. Which today, when we talk about Emunah, we were talking about, we'd be talking about the untouchable, the unshakable faith of a Jew. That pintilayid that just doesn't get touched. We're talking about that level of emunah that would take a secular Jew and when push comes to shove, would walk away from everything and give up his or her life for God because this untouchable pintilayid is there. So on one hand, the Rosh is abstract. The Rosh of Amunah is an abstract Amunah. I mentioned to you many times in this Garden of Amunah series, the teachings of the Talmud. 
The Talmud says that the Jewish thief, while he's stealing, he prays. He prays not to get caught. And it is zero logic to that. If you believe in God, well, God told you don't steal. If you don't believe in God, why are you praying to God not to get caught? But the Jew has no problem doing that. Because the rush of emunah is so abstract that yes, I am stealing, and yes, I am praying to God that I shouldn't get caught. So when we talk about the rush of emunah, we're talking about that pintal yid. We're talking about what I always refer to, the Jewish atheist who says, I swear to God, I'm an atheist. That concept. So when we talk about the rush, we're talking about that pintal yid, which you and I both know in our driest spells, when we really have doubts, we're really questioning we want to know what's going on here. Why is this all happening to me? Where is Hashem? Yada, yada, yada. The more I take on mitzvot, the more I find myself sinking in every other level of my life. And it keeps on going and it makes me have questions in my emunah. And yet, even as we sit there feeling this, even as we sit there in our 49 levels of impurity, questions, doubt, confusion, we still know. That don't worry, the rush of Emunah is, was, and always will be. The problem with that level of Emunah is that because it's untouchable, it sometimes is not capable of touching. You ever saw it in the back of the truck? If you can't see my mirror, I can't see you. On a certain level, we can say, if you can't touch this Emunah with your impurities, then on a certain level, the munah is abstract and it cannot touch you in your stage of impurity. Which leads us now to the third level of munah. What's the third level of munah? That's the soft. What is the soft part we said? That's the external part. The Talmud refers to the waist down as not part of your body but rather the stem, the pedestal on which the body is placed. On a certain level, it's not you. It's the way you're relating outwards, either within yourself, thought, speech, and action, or other people. That would be the munah that our sages are talking about. Did not change their names, did not change their language, did not change their garments. That would be the sof of Emunah. So much so that probably most of the people in Egypt who knew their Hebrew names didn't even know why they knew the Hebrew names, may not have even felt that it was so important to know their Hebrew names. They probably spoke this language for the same reason that I speak Yiddish, because until I was seven years old, that's all I spoke, not because I chose to because of my deep Jewish roots, but simply because that was my grandparents, that's what they did to me. They spoke Yiddish to me. There was no speaking English to them. There wasn't like this big dedication that now I'm going to commit myself to my emunah and I'm going to learn Yiddish. It's not that way. And the same thing with the garments. So we're talking about here three levels of emunah. The rosh, the abstract, the untouchable which by definition also sometimes leaves us detached. It doesn't touch us when we're not in the right place. 
And then there's the emotional part of the Muna, which is what you and I always mean when we talk about the Muna. I feel my Muna. I don't have the Muna. I need to strengthen my Muna. In its in its absolute stage, Muna can neither be strengthened nor weakened. It is. But on the emotional stage, there are times I feel it stronger. There are times I'm lacking in it. And that's what we focus on. The problem is, what do we do when we cannot connect to that emotional emuna? There's just a price to pay when you indulge in things that don't jive with your emotional emuna. You come into shul and you're not going to dive in and you're going to babble and dissect everyone's outfit, then obviously you're not going to experience the tefillah. It's that simple. If you're not going to be focused on taking care of that emotional flame of emunah, then you're just not going to experience its light and warmth. So in the dark stages, in my own stage of Egypt, in my own narrow constraints, when things are closing in on me spiritually, and I cannot connect with the tangible emotional emunah, what do I do? And here's the interesting thing. In Kabbalah, the top and the bottom are connected, not the middle. I actually do not need to be connected to my emotional emunah in order to be connected to my omnipotent emunah. The gateway to the omnipotent emunah is actually through the lowest level of emunah. The Rosh and the Sof are connected. Noatz Tchilatan Bisofan. He sticks, he tightens the head into the end. In order to bring forth that omnipotent, infinite, abstract emunah that I should connect with it, it actually isn't by fanning the flame of my emotional emunah but rather it's by going into the lowest level of emunah, which seems to be so unemotional, so empty, because I'm simply doing even though I don't feel. And that is why I'm suggesting tonight that actually the three things that saved the Jewish people and gave them the schut after falling into 49 levels of impurity to be able to go ahead and connect to the highest level and get out of Egypt was actually these three simple, external, seemingly meaningless acts of faith. They didn't change your name, they didn't change your language, and they didn't change your dress code. On a practical level, I've shared this with you so many times before. You go over to some guru or some real yogi and you tell them, I'm just not feeling spiritual lately. And what they're going to talk to you about is abstinence, meditation, fasting, fasting from words, from speech, not just from food. Put yourself completely into spiritual, intellectual, meditation you come over to a rabbi and you tell the rabbi 
I'm not feeling spiritual, the first question out of an average Chabad rabbi is going to be, when was the last time you brought guests to your Shabbos table? That's how we get spiritual. You take someone who would not have the experience of the Shabbos table, or at least not the way you run it in your house, you bring them to the table, they hear your kids say the parsha. they hear you talk, they're sitting there with the experience, you're singing with them the song, and that's how you become more spiritual. You see, the way up is through down. If you're trying to focus in the times of 49 levels of impurity, and you're trying to awaken your emotional emunah so you can feel it, it's not going to work. I shouldn't say a rule it's not going to work, a fact, but as a general rule, it's not going to work. Our Talmud tells us that the person in the ditch cannot get himself out of the ditch. When we're in an emotional, spiritual ditch, we're not going to be able to emotionally climb our way out of it. The answer is the secret of the book of Exodus. The way to connect to your emotional faith, and even greater than that, the way to connect to your omnipotent faith, which will rekindle your emotional faith, is through action. Action void of emotion. Don't tell me that when I feel it, I'll do it. Quite the contrary. Do it so that you can feel it. By simply focusing on the outer layer, the lowest layer, not the center layer, and not the core. The core is abstract. It's omnipotent. It's infinite. The middle layer, we're going through a dry spell. That's emotional. I'm in an emotional ditch right now, a black hole. But the lowest level is something that you don't need to be anywhere. You can do what you don't feel like doing. You can do it even though it feels so meaningless. And that's why so many times when the Chabad boys are walking on the street, and would you like to put on tefillin? It doesn't mean anything to me, but if you want, I'll do you a favor. They're not going to say, no, 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 you have to feel it. You're right. It means nothing to you. You mind rolling up your sleeve, please? Just do it for me. Why am I asking you to do it for me? Because I'm not waiting for it to be an emotional experience. I'm waiting for the magic of the lowest level of emunah to ignite and connect you to your highest level of emunah, which will drip down into your center emotional level of emunah. And that's why God was not checking what the status and the vital signs of the emotional emunah of the Jew was. For God, it was enough. Very simple. They didn't change your name. They didn't change your clothing. They didn't change your language. They are externally connected with the identity of faith, and that's enough for me. Because that's where the highest secrets lie. It's by going down into the emotionalist actions that we in touch that which is above and beyond our emotions. Same thing when it comes to education. Most of us are starving for our kids to feel Jewish. You have no idea how many times 
People bring me their children for their bas and bar mitzvah classes and tell me these words. Rabbi, I'm not worried about reading the Torah, not reading the Torah, or, or doing the candle service, or not doing the candle service, but I just want you to give them a feeling for Yiddishkeit. And sure enough, I walk over to the pantry, and I open up my Jewish Popeye spinach of feelings, and I let them eat it, and they walk out of here feeling Jewish. What does that mean? Rabbi, I'm not worried about what they do and what they don't do. Don't worry about keeping kosher. Don't worry about keeping Shabbos. Don't worry about anything. I just want you to make them feel Jewish. The answer in education, be it of thyself or thy others, including your children, is very simple. Don't worry right now about the feeling. Connect them with the obedience of the action. Obedience is an embodiment of faith. I am obedient. I don't feel like waking up this morning. I don't want to put on my tefillin. I don't want to learn Torah. I have a cold. I'm actually feeling very cranky right now. But I'm going to obediently daven my mincha, daven my mairiv, do what I got to do, and go to bed. By definition, obedience is faith. It's an embodiment and an actment of faith. So if we do what we have to do with obedience, that will take us to the highest level of faith because now we're not dependent on our human capacity of emotions. There's a limit to what we can feel. But there is no limit to our obedience. So by doing these three external things, holding on to such an external, meaningless, emotionless acts of faith is what connects us to the omnipotent, infinite level of our faith. And from there, it'll drip down. And slowly but surely, our emotional level of faith will start waking back up. So let's answer the question. What do we do when we cannot connect with our faith? We now know that what we mean by that question is we cannot connect with our emotional level of faith. Our infinite level of faith at that stage is abstract. We can steal and pray. The answer is turn to the lowest external level of faith, which is simple obedience. Stop looking for the amazing experience of prayer and just articulate the words. Stop looking for seeing the light when you cover your eyes and you make that blessing and prayer over the candles. Just get the job done. It's interesting. You know, I, uh, I mentioned to you a couple of times that uh, I've read the 12 steps. I've read a lot of uh, work on addiction. I came across an amazing line. This person writes that they heard from their sponsor. These are the words you have to remember. Trust God, trust me, and do your dishes. What an amazing line. Trust God. Trust yourself that you have the level of obedience no matter what you're feeling right now, and go do the dishes. That simple. The same thing spiritually. You're not feeling too Jewish right now. You know that that great feeling when you're feeling your emunah, and you're, you're, you're just, you know, 
surfing the waves, it's really beautiful, but you don't have that right now. So go to the bottom line. Trust God, you know that God is true, you know that the Torah is true, you know that the Jewish people are true. Trust yourself, you are God's Jew. That simple. And then go do the dishes. Just do the mitzvah that you have to do. And it'll all work out okay. Thank you guys.